This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday Twilight Show with me, Henry Saunson. Looking forward very much to talking to you again for the next 90 minutes or so in the uh, company of a special guest. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Excellent. And good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Twilight Show, where we take you from the technicolour of the afternoon to the crepuscularity of the evening, if that's a word, in the comfortable arms of education. Um, Welcome. Uh, Always a pleasure to be talking to you on a Thursday evening. Uh, And I hope that this evening, and indeed if you're listening back at any particular hour of the day or night, uh, we can go through a little voyage with some interesting topics. Um, I'm hoping to welcome a special guest this evening uh, to talk to me a little bit about uh, her work in the sector at the moment. Um, And for any of you that are going to be uh, listening live or listening back, hopefully I'll provide you with some insights. Um, We're also going to be taking a little bit of a look at some of the recently recently released data from the NFER and uh, teacher workforce data that's come out from gov.uk, which is always entertaining. Um, And then in the second half, uh, we're going to be having a focus paper. We're going to be looking at effective teacher professional development. Okay. So as I said, um, I like to open with a quote, what we're going to do, and I can see that my guest is ready, um, is that we are going to heed the words of John Holt, who says that learning is not the product of teaching. Learning is the product of the activity of learners. Um, One that I discovered this week and I really rather like. Um, So it's not about what we do necessarily. It's about what the learners do with what we instruct. And so we have to make sure that everything we're doing is focused on the students and not necessarily ourselves. Um, Before I welcome Holly in, Um, Just an interesting stat that I found out today from the fantastic Jack Worth and his wonderful threads on Twitter regards the the data around teacher workforce and retention um, is that for the first time ever, ever, more primary than secondary teachers left the education sector as of summer 2021. Um, So maybe a bit of a shift. Interestingly, um, from my particular skit uh, here in the east of England, Um, We have more primary trainees for September 22 than secondary for the first time ever. So potentially there's an interesting shift in the market there. Okay, so as I say, we're in sunny Stamford. We are moving away from the Technicolor afternoon to the Crepuscular Eve. And I'm going to welcome in Holly Naismith. Now, Holly, I'm just going to add you there. And hopefully that means that you'll be able to join us here on Teacher Talk Radio, both live and being podcastified. Um, Holly, how are you? Hello, can you hear me? I can indeed. Fantastic. Coming through loud and clear. 
very, very lovely. Thank you good so much. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening. It's you and me at the moment, Holly, but hopefully we're oh. bringing a few more. It's all right, don't you worry. They're, they always join us. But of course, they can listen back online as well. Fantastic that you're giving up your time, Holly. Thank you so, so much for this. Um, no problem. I um, It's interesting, actually, because I've spent the majority of the day actually listening to previous recordings of yours. Um, <laughs> and no, I love the quotes and I like the articles at the end. So I was listening to oh. one on ITE. And yeah. um, you, you just saying now, um, I've just read the school workforce consensus uh, data. So cool. I was just, uh, yeah, my Thursday evenings looking <laughs> at data. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, they do say if we're not living on the edge, we're taking up too much room, aren't we, really? <laughs> and um, potentially oh. we, we know how to live here in sunny Stamford, don't we? <laughs> um, we do. <laughs> So, um, uh, Holly, for those of us uh, who, who don't know who you are, I'm going to give you a, a quick little heads up. You're current head of PE and you're moving yeah. to head of PE cohort for PE PGCE students at the University of Buckingham. You're doing a master's in teaching and learning and current professional doctorate in education, uh, focusing on professional development and teacher learning, which sounds, I have to say, absolutely magnificent. It sounds like catnip um, and <laughs> uh, sort of thing. Definitely, definitely up your street. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, um, I I did a master. I was interesting. You saying about uh, the PGCE and being at level seven and credits. So, I did my masters quite early on in uh, my teaching career when I actually worked at um, a school in Peterborough, and yeah. um, it was it was really interesting because I did uh, my main focus, my main dissertation actually was on lesson observations and being observed. Oh, wow. And yeah, and the, the presence of others and whether your behavior changes, does it improve um, your performance in the classroom or your development? Yeah. So um, and then actually never did any work on it, really. And I think <laughs> ECTs today, uh, trainee teachers are so used to being um, being observed. I think it's, it's just common practice. Uh, yeah. And I know, especially in our school, uh, it's quite nerve wracking for older uh, kind of more experienced teachers because they didn't have or hadn't had that kind of classroom observations. They they have to do it for um, threshold for uh, appraisals. Uh, it's quite a daunting experience for them. So I think definitely for ECTs, it's definitely becoming more more a more habitual, more a more mm. enjoyable uh, experience. Definitely. Um, yeah. No. And then yeah, Ed D, which I think I was uh, actually recommend you you do one actually <laughs> when when I was speaking to colleagues and um, just kind of the readings uh, you've been doing and your knowledge. Um, no, I mean it's hard work, definitely, but very rewarding. So. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 before we sort of, there's so many threads that you've just sort of uh, revealed there that I'd love to pick at, Holly. I mean, just a particular yeah. observation. I think, um, and I'll, I'll maybe come back to that. Is it the Hawthorne effect? Is that what you call it when you change your behaviour when someone's watching you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I do think, as you say, and I know because you work closely with at the moment, and will indeed be working very closely with those students in um, initial teacher education just how used they are to having somebody critiquing or not at the back of the room. I mean, what am I, when I observe, I, I can't resist getting involved. And so I think I automatically <laughs> ch change the dynamic of whatever lessons going on, hopefully for the better. Um, but yeah. I think there's, there's probably an acceptance that it is a slightly false process in terms of, you know, uh, 
culture or you know behavior or consistency is what happens when the doors are shut isn't it and it's when no one's looking and if you're still doing the same thing when no one's looking then I think yeah I remember I I mean go on go no yeah no I think that was actually something we had a PGC our final summer residential at Buckingham last week and it was a, the last kind of contact time we would have with their trainees um, and there was a lot of discussion about what in September I'm in a sports hall or I'm in a classroom by myself and mm. um, I always remember my first teaching like 13 years ago I, I was doing badminton with year sevens and I was looking around just to see if anyone was there and I was like <laughs> you know, I'm left to my own devices like how long should I spend on this warm-up like when should I move on how should I make sure learning is taking place and um, no it, it's yeah interesting to listen to your thoughts that um, yeah it's it's um, uh, it changes your it's a culture uh, it's yeah. definitely a culture that ECTs um, now are more aware of and it's more a natural classroom practice I suppose yeah no I think you're right and I think what that probably also does is then gets rid of the sort of two sides of the teacher in terms of how they normally teach and then how they teach if someone's come in to look um, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember sort of I, I trained I did PGCE route in the mid 2000s 2007 I think I, I qualified 2008 maybe um and um uh it, my first placement and my then my uh school that I was in the first as I was an NQT they had Ofsted and there was very much yeah. a focus on right well this is what you need to be doing when the inspector comes in this is what you need to remember to do this is what you need to do I think well I, I don't want to do any of that but if mm. I, I've got to do that because that's what people are going to be looking for and I, I have that, that as you probably realized Holly there's many hills on which I'm probably quite happy to die when it comes to education <laughs> um, ob- observation again being one of them and just how it's used it can be a hugely productive instructional coaching tool but it can also be a really nasty stick with which to beat people and um, uh, I don't like it when people feel as if they have to change their natural practice just because somebody happens to be looking. I know that we're going to be discussing with trainees tomorrow, actually, habits and bad habits that we have. And I know when we spoke last, we, we mentioned, um, and he's been, uh, I'll call him friend of the show, Mike Hobbis, and mm-hmm. talking about habit formation and, and such things and bad habits in the classroom. And I know I'm guilty of things like someone comes in and then all of a sudden, I will just break into narration of what's gone on previously and what we've done in the past 20 <laughs> minutes, just in case I don't trust the person watching to realise that I might have done that anyway. <laughs> Some actual t- yeah, I, met, I remember quite vividly, actually. We had, um, there was a BTEC lesson that I was teaching and we were actually doing skill continuums and uh, at the same time there was some rugby competition going on so I actually played rugby live on the screen and I, I actually did think to myself oh this is going I hope no one comes to observe me and what happens a member of SLT comes down the corridor and walks in so you're instantly I was like oh struck with fear that no learning's taking place and actually when you explain the context the you could show that they were relating their their learning to what we were watching Watching, actually mm. was quite a good learning tool but yeah. it's going back to what you were saying and um, there's I know at our school um, we we invested quite a lot of time in terms of habits of mind uh, what you should be seeing in the, the classroom work by Carol Dweck on growth fixed mindset yeah. but 
when um and i see colleagues now who are trying to go through threshold and they're trying to evidence against teaching standards when they haven't yeah. looked at teaching standards for the, for the last five six years of their practice um i see when when they want someone to come and observe them and they're trying to do a, a lesson plan um and show adaptive practice show uh that they've got behavior strategies in place and they haven't done one because it's just not like you say it's not natural practice it's not common every day and they mm. don't perhaps need a lesson plan like some people a, a quick five minute a quick um starter main plenary with it, what they've written in their planner is yeah. suffice for a good quality lesson are you um are you part of the PE teacher set that keeps a post-it note in the pocket holly just in case a reminder <laughs> i did do that once but then i lost the post-it note oh no <laughs> so, I, no. so <laughs> But I did, I did, and then I went to writing on my hands, which yep. then that didn't that didn't work. So um, no, it was a bit of uh, a bit of guided, uh, yeah, a bit of guided discovery. But yeah, a bit of exploration, a bit of play. <laughs> I would say well, in my some of my PE lessons, not all, not all. Well, you can always get them, you know, get them running around the field for two minutes while you think of something to do. Yeah, you're not you're not making me out to be a very uh, experienced practitioner. I think that it takes it takes an experienced practitioner to do that. I think. <laughs> I think yeah. if you, you the 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 art of buying time for me, it's the video clip. All of a sudden, you remember that there's bound to be a clip of Macbeth somewhere on YouTube. Quickly whack that on and let's design a resource. So it's, um, it's strategies you pick up though through teaching, yeah. is it? and again through observing others. Going back yeah. to this this observation, so yeah. uh, and that I know colleagues say, "Oh, I don't have time. I I need this lesson to 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 catch up on planning." But it is such a worthwhile and valuable tool um, yeah. just to go and watch someone else's practice. So I, I like this thread. I like observation. I like that we're talking about this because it does link in beautifully to aspects of professional development. And, and ultimately, the only way that you can determine whether or not somebody is getting better or improving, uh, unless you trust their word explicitly, is by having someone watch that development, isn't it? So um, do you think then that part of a good CPD offer um, within a school is one that trains observers in how to observe within that culture. Do you think that's an important part of what every every teacher needs to not only be able to teach, but to observe and to give feedback and to, to fresh eyes critique? Yeah, so um, one of this, well, the last couple of years and how I actually um, came to go to work at Buckingham is I was a lead tutor. Um, so I would go into different schools. I would look at the uh, mentors, uh, watch the lesson with the uh, PGC student, and the mentor, and then actually watch how they give feedback. Um, yeah. And I've seen so much. In, um, and I know from when people have given me feedback, you sit there and it's half an hour and they haven't stopped talking and you can't remember anything. Uh, and I did watch this mentor do that once, actually. And she spoke to the poor trainee for, I mean, there was more than 20 points she, she did. And we always talk about the, the, the sandwich. Start with a, um, uh, well, you start with a negative, a positive, but then always finish on a positive. Um, so, yeah, going back to your point, looking at different types of um, feedback. And, and you can tell by the body language of the person. So, um, for me, it's it's short, it's concise. And I think what we forget these days and observing trainees is that 
there's a focus they've got a teaching standard to focus yeah. on in their their weekly observations so instead of you can i mean you can pick up different points but let's say i come to watch your lesson and our focus is just going to be on um uh behavior management strategies mm. so that would just be the feedback that we're looking at um yeah. i'm actually for my um ed d doing a lot of work on professional learning communities Nice. And yep. um, especially in China, my supervisor, she she um, is doing some lecturing in China on PLCs at the moment. Um, cool. And uh, I don't know, I mean, uh, you are probably part of the teacher research groups, RIGS yep. research in, uh, group, which I think we need to, going back to your point, uh, have uh, implement uh, more in schools and in, mm. in the local area because it is such a good form of CPD. Uh, for teachers to share that practice. Um, yeah. I was just reading today actually about um, how too much uh, feedback uh, kind of stifles learning. Uh, that's where teacher, uh, too little teachers feel quite isolated. That's where their practice doesn't prove. So it's about yeah. finding the right balance. Definitely so. And I think a lot of that is re is really cultural. And it also, I think, comes back to the people who are in charge of implementing these practices in schools is creating a culture whereby people don't feel as if it is that that previously alluded to stick with which they're beaten but it's actually this developmental formative mutual growth model you know I, I've seen you know I think lesson study as a concept I think is a really powerful one if it's implemented well um, I think it's creating that sort of non-hierarchical mm. equality of humility that you need within teachers of different experience and I yeah. think I mean, I, you know, I, I'm very, very lucky. I've been all week. I've been observing trainees in different settings, but I'm an English teacher at the end of the day. So me watching a maths teacher is, is, is my feedback to the maths teacher about their specific pedagogy or their pedagogical content knowledge is relatively irrelevant and inauthentic because I'm not a mathematician. So mm. <clears throat> what I quite like to use observation for personally is to instruct myself in the different ways that more generic uh, concepts are applied in subject domains and I think that's a key part of the way that we observe and ensuring yeah. that we have that um there's again I suppose the other thing and I'd be interested in your views in the, in the independent sector at the moment but also in a large school that you need a if you're going to have people observing then you need a sort of calibration of expectation don't you you don't want mm. someone to think well oh I, 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 this used to be the case for me i remember you think you get the observation schedule and if the slt were feeling kind they'd tell you who was coming to see you and so you knew what sort of lesson to do because of who was yeah. coming to see you and that i don't think is necessarily a healthy way of fostering development if you think well they'll want to see this but they'll want to see that they're bound to be nice because they're lovely they're going to be really harsh and you know what what do you yeah. how do we how do we get that right I, in in leadership do you think i think yeah i think you've um some good people actually um i was just noting down um offer and pedder they're really good people right. to read up upon on about teacher development um relationships um go and wang they're really good at the moment on uh teacher research groups um especially plcs in china yeah. so if anyone wanted to do any extra reading um you picked up on uh, i suppose what i picked up on um you mentioned the word mutual um yep. relationship and i suppose you could uh, say authority as well yeah. so um reading and learning about uh teacher learning and 
the difference between teacher learning and teacher professional learning. Mm. Um, I think it's vital, especially now we're seeing with the the new ECF about this mutual respect, this mutual relationship that um, you you have as an observer, you need to develop uh, as a mentor with your trainee to make sure they get that most effective feedback. Um, yeah. And it is interesting, actually, you said and when observing, um, I've I've had experience in the past of trainees who um, haven't listened to feedback because they don't see the person giving the feedback of um, uh, a certain authoritative figure. So they will only listen to the headmaster because they're <laughs> in their eyes, they view them as the most kind of uh, authoritative person in the school. Um, I think I think it's it, in any school. Um, I think it's good in terms of to, to send out uh, an observation schedule. And I think if I was a teacher in a classroom, I'd like, but perhaps not knowing who to come in, because I don't think that should, and like we said at the start, an observation, someone coming in shouldn't change your normal classroom practice no. and you should be delivering. Uh, I know we all have off days and stuff, but your, <laughs> your, your quality lessons, at the end of the day, you have pupils there who want to learn. Um, yes. So I suppose a time period. So, uh, and, giving a focus i've seen a lot of schools now who have this week our focus is going to be on um airfell strategies or for the next half term for example so give a wider and within that uh, half term block uh, there'll be some cpd sessions ran um about some airfell mm. strategies there'll be some opportunities and windows to go and see experienced colleagues and to actually see the observers because we all have slt come into our classrooms at some point but do we <laughs> ever go and watch them no yeah so um so that is quite because how can you value their feedback when they're hardly in the in the classroom and i mean i might be talking for some but um i think to stay current to stop your ideas your teaching from going stale um it's so important you're in front of you're in front of children you know what's happening um to be able to to give that efficient that valuable feedback Definitely. I agree a hundred percent. I think there's so many sort of aspects there that you touch upon in terms of trying to set up these these cultures of observation as this mutual improvement strategy for all. But it's got to be non-hierarchical, hasn't it? It's got to be it's got to be full of what, um, um, as you know, I'm, I'm a lover of a quote and, and I think, you know, <laughs> aspects. I think it's I think back in the day, one of my old shows, I, I quoted from Ephesians or something ridiculous like that about um, letting no harm necessarily come out of your mouth. It's about um, Hobson and Maldarez are interesting when they talk about judge mentoring, don't they? And mm. how, um, you know, actually the poorly, poorly designed feedback will have more of an impact negatively because what's going to happen is that people will naturally just hear the the negative. They won't, you know, they'll they'll feel judged. They'll feel as if they're being looked down upon. So the the you know the the SLT come into the room and um, they observe my lesson and they give me this negative feedback. You know, it's because they're better than me. Well, no, that's not the case in the slightest. I think mm. I'm you know I'm I'm SMT at my school, but I'm I'm far from the best teacher. <laughs> I'm miles. I'm miles away from the best teacher in my de in, in the department, and I'm I'm an English teacher in the department with a head of key stage three, head of key stage four, and a head of department who can all give me guidance on how to do my job better. It's just that, a different. That goes to kind of this um, lifelong this love for lifelong learning. 
um, mm. and you see it in schools that um, having a trainee working with trainee teachers um, they do bring they keep you, you fresh they bring new yeah. ideas and um, some mm. of my best plan lessons we've <clears> taken their ideas and then I've said right let's see how we can progress this let's see how we can amend this um, I was reading an article actually today about recognition v reward Right. And um, I suppose you, you going back to the point that you just said about you always remember negative feedback um, and it, it gets the timing of the feedback. That's so important when we're talking about observations. And I mean, I've had observations where you've just had an email a week later with the um, with the feedback um which which doesn't which you you read perhaps you skim um but they i'd be interesting to see actually the literature on the the best timing for feedback and yeah. when i'm giving feedback i always give them some time for reflection which is really really important mm. um there's there's a good thing we do on our ed where um you have five minutes you can't take your pen off your the piece of paper um and you just keep writing and you just keep your flow of thoughts going uh regarding the lesson so um oh, wow. that's that was that's really really good reflection tool for for people out there and then yeah. it forms your your discussion after um and then you can embed your feedback within there um but, but you you did say that we, we i don't think we praise teachers enough no and, i don't think we um, do no, and especially in observations, like we said, there's so much work, all this literature at the moment about workload and teachers leaving due to workload, due to working conditions, due to school context, um, praise. And I think everyone knows how you ex you get an email from um, the head teacher or someone comes into your lesson, I really like this, could you do this session? Uh, I think that does, um, it, it, it um, reaps loads of rewards for, for professional development, for practice of teachers as well so. yeah I, I think I'm, I'm loving this I just think there's so much about observation that I really wish people we would try and I, I've seen so much bad practice with observation and it's not mm -hmm. through any genuine attempt to do, to do people down but it's because everyone all of a sudden people might sort of hit upon a particular let's take for example every you know Rosenshine all of a sudden Rosenshine's principles became despite having been worked on for 30 odd years with numerous other research papers uh, and thousands of hours of classroom observation, these principles all of a sudden became in some areas, a checklist for lesson observations. And, yeah. and I, I think for me, the best observation form, if someone has to have an observation form, is for them to have in their mind what, as you said earlier, the focus of the observation is, so which particular strategy am I looking at? Um, and then a blank sheet of paper. And, yeah. and literally, I, I love that sort of Virginia Woolf-esque stream of consciousness. You just write down what you see. And I, when I'm observing, I don't like observation forms that have mm. categories that I have to fill in in the moment. Because what I'm doing is I'm too concerned about the category on the page. And I'm not watching the teacher. I'm not watching the students. And yeah. I just think that that sort of stream of conscious narrative with a clear focus in your mind. So I know that as an observer, I've either spoken to my trainee my ect before the lesson to determine right where are we in the curriculum what are you going to be doing what am i looking out for here or mm -hmm. i know that i'm going in with as you say a particular supported aspect in mind and then maybe yeah. i think is, is it bambrick santoyo have you do you know his his we talked about this thing it's the waterfall approach whereby you what you, yeah. you know you the know that strategy yeah. yeah and then you watch until you see it then you yeah. watch the immediate aftermath of the strategy, the pedagogy, the whatever, and then you stop watching. Mm. And I've sort of one of my focuses, and I'm sure you will find with your PGCE guys going forward as well, is that 
especially at the start of a training experience to train to teach, you are spending much of your time observing others as well. So you yeah. are sitting in the classroom watching teachers. But the trouble is you're probably just because you don't have any sort of frame of reference beyond your own schooling. What you could sit yeah. there for hours as a trainee, watch expert teachers and not see anything. Mm. All, all you've, you, you've just this narrative has played out in front of you and you've enjoyed it, but you haven't identified where or how these strategies were actually being deployed or their effect because they're done with such subtlety. And mm. I think if you can focus, as you say, observation around a particular construct, particular pedagogy, particular aim, and you've instructed how to observe for that or people know what that looks like in some way, shape or form, and they have a foundation for that observation, I think it makes the feedback far more valuable. Yeah, no, definitely. And just adding to that, that that good practice, and I don't think young teachers, ECTs now exactly know what they would modelling. I suppose it goes down to modelling, yeah. knowing what good practice looks like. And um, I mean, going back to my experience, I, I observed the lesson um, uh, uh, and it, uh, he was probably two, three years into his teaching. Um, and it was it was literally like play um this lesson and i sat there and i was thinking some he must do something he must even take a register at some point and he didn't and he played a, a trailer it was a dance lesson um played an action trailer um i think it was a james bonds thing and i mean these these um year sevens they were climbing up the curtains they were jumping on chairs in this assembly hall and i mean i said set the context of the lesson for me um and I mean, I, it would have been fine if it, it was, I said to him, it was just like organized play. Yeah. Um, so, um, and going back to your point in terms of, I like this idea of narrative inquiry. And I, I've been reading quite a lot, um, looking at data analysis for my ED about yeah. uh, system ma mapping and narrative inquiry approach. And there's so much literature on that on um, regarding teacher and teacher education. So um, I think that can be applied to lesson observation. And automatically, when you said a ob lesson observation sheet, I did think a blank sheet of paper because yeah. you're, you're right watching. Um, and then just your other point about pedagogy. And I don't think, unless you're like someone like you or, or myself, that young trainees, people in ITE, um, they, and I'm, I might be, I'm not insulted, this is not meant to, as an insulting comment, but I exactly know what kind of pedagogy to apply to their classroom practice mm. or who to look at. And um, it was interesting because a lot of PDC interviews are happening at the moment um, and outside of Buckingham at other um, institutions and uh, a couple of colleagues have gone for job interviews. And the first question that they've been asked is what book regarding pedagogy are you reading? It's completely thrown them like um, one colleague was saying to me that he, he just couldn't answer the rest of the questions because he was so he said, I don't read um, <laughs> or or I'll, I'll glance at schools week or I'll go on Twitter. Um, but he couldn't answer the question and it just kind of his thought process um, completely, completely um, stuffed him for the rest of the interview. So I did think that was quite um, quite a well. Uh, not a nice question to ask, mm. but something that we're lacking in terms yeah. of training these students in terms of the pedagogical nature of classroom practice. 
That's a, I, I, that'd be making make an interesting topic for another show, wouldn't it? You know, what's the, <laughs> the, the worst inter- or the hardest interview <laughs> question you've ever had? I actually, um, I, I did, I'm still recruiting for, um, for September. It's, we're lucky that we've got people still interested. And I, um, I was asked, we got to the end of the interview, it's this afternoon, we got to the end of the interview. And um, I always say, any questions? And um, t- uh, this, this magnificent person said, um, yes. Um, based on what you know of me so far from my application and this interview process, what would you say are going to be my biggest weaknesses next year? Oh. And I said, okay, interesting. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that. And then and I thought that was quite a sort of self-effacing question to ask in an interview. Is, mm. you know, where do you, where do you think that I'm going to struggle? And did therefore, you, how will you help me? Did so you it's flip about, it on? You could have flipped it and saying, so what you know of your own identity, <laughs> what do you think? Oh, that's, that, that, oh, that's cheating, Holly. That's cheating. <laughs> um, I, I, I actually, I, I saw it as quite an interesting reflection in, in that they were prepared to acknowledge that they would be told that there was stuff that they needed to get better at. And I took it that they wanted me to be able to tell them how I'd help, which I thought was yeah. was quite nice. But um, I, I do think... Certainly, I mean, around, you know, these groups, I mean, you know, teacher, teacher research groups, professional learning communities, lesson study, um, you know, is is another great opportunity there. But, you know, in terms of building these, these cultures and these communities for professional development in schools, I mean, it's about that alignment, isn't it? It's about ensuring that everybody understands what's why stuff is going on. I mean, I've found, and I'm sure you will find with your guys, or have found already, um, with your your many experiences with trainees, is that they hear so much feedback that they don't Mm. know which to listen to. As you say, some of them will only listen to the head teacher. That doesn't mean the head teacher is the best teacher. So they're they're misguiding their attention based on hierarchy, and it's sort of this. um, There's a fantastic. Um, again, it's a quotation. It's like "hic dissonantu bk." Like here, here is lots of noise because everybody's shouting at the same time, um, mm. and 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 it's it's not feedback. It's this my my one of my favourite analogies at the moment, and one that I'm sort of I always keep scribbling notes about and writing little articles about the Tower of Babel, and how mm. actually you know you've got this sense of a lot of people trying to help. But what's happening is because they're all using different terms and they've all got different contexts and different ways of seeing this strategy that this trainee teacher is working on, that the trainee hears all these different voices, hears all this different input. But it's so it's it's so a contextual to them because it might just be that the SLT dropped in and the SLT happened to be a geography teacher, but they're a they're a musician. And, and it's all of that, that alignment within institutions. Um, what do you? What would you say, uh, Holly? Would be if you if you could design now? If you you had, and I'm sure you you probably indeed do have quite a handle on on designing professional learning within schools. Mm. What would you say make the basis of a good professional learning curriculum at the moment? What do you think are the core things that that PD in schools needs to focus on? Oh, that's a that is a good question. Um, I think. PD, it's, uh, it's got to show some impact. Yep. Um, and there's there's several different forms, isn't there, in terms of a curriculum. Um, and I think we we um, we don't value the kind of informal learning opportunities that we have. Mm. So that might be the sat in our office today, for example, um, how how we're going to teach the hurdles and that those 
quick informal conversations that you have over a coffee at break time yeah. are sometimes the most valuable so i think in and when designing um not categorizing but in terms of different forms um the inform um see a difference between the your formal sessions so courses workshops um and covid shown us that so much online learning um can be done but people are actually missing those in interactions that networking opportunity and people like to meet face to face um but the actual formal uh, informal opportunities um are better um i think um a lot of things and from reading actually the evaluation of um, the national rollout of the ecf um just before this um putting um theory into practice so yeah. that's something if i was to look specifically at program that we we can sit we can talk but actually implementing actually seeing how it's done in the classroom um i think that would would definitely engage uh, in professional learning activities um and uh, I suppose going back to the time for reflection, the time for, for people to absorb what they've learned. Um, I mean, looking, sat looking at my bookcase now, I've been on so many courses that I've got the booklet listened to for a day, but then put away and I haven't gone back to school. I haven't thought, right, I'll take uh, Deborah Ayer's high performance learning into my um, school. I read the book, but that's it. Put it away. Um, interpreting what I've learned, discussing it with colleagues and then practicing this new knowledge. Um, yeah. And I think that's really, really important. The, um, I mean, the pra practice is essential, isn't it? I mean, it, it, yeah. unless people are given an opportunity in a sort of threat-free threat environment to actually um, practice what they're talking about and 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 put things into you know into a scenario and test it out and and yeah. you know like stress test it. You go to IKEA and you see them stress testing <laughs> these chairs. And they're, they're you know, wait, pushing this chair up and down on this ramp to say all of our products are, stre you know, 120 times stretched to make sure they stand up to it. And we can't expect, you know, single use pedagogy to be effective if people just drop it into a lesson and hope it works. It has to be stress tested, mm. doesn't it? It really I does. Mean, did we featured looking at um, kind of empirical studies on um, professional development? We featured so I can't I'm just trying to find the stats here. But I mean, China um they provide in terms of pd forms uh the impacts of pd and practice um they were rated their like number one in terms of observing lessons planning um yeah. uh so uh, i'll try and find that that somewhere i've got i've got a stat somewhere but no it is i think we can learn from other um other countries hence the the reading about china looking at characteristics of uh pd so um like i think one thing is that i've kind of i think again going back to that question is having a shared value and a vision and yeah. i think in schools there's we know like um there was a, it's it's like a bit of a trend, isn't it? High performance learning. So we change our practice, but then we don't do that anymore. Then we go on to mindset, growth and fixed mindset. But we don't do that anymore. We looked at habits of minds that's gone out the window. So I think in terms of having a shared vision and of, uh, of um, values, but instilling that and the time we do it, it's got to be enough time, as I said, to reflect, to absorb into practice. And then um, recently, actually, um, I was looking at leadership and teacher learning yep. so the use of um kind of distributed shared leadership 
and that goes back I suppose to what we were talking to about the head teacher not necessarily being the best teacher but um but but distributing that leadership um having that collaboration with with colleagues in these PLCs in these research groups to to help development to help offerings so yeah and I think so there's so much stuff that I just think you I mean, we back. could talk for, we could talk yeah. for ages. Uh, hours. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're absolutely bang on the money with all. And I just think sort of it, you were talking about that theory and practice divide. And I know there's been a lot of focus on that recently in terms of trying to bridge this gap, but it, it's been around for absolutely years and years and years, hasn't it? I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. a, I'm a massive fan of Paolo Freire and, I, yeah. you, know, you know, maybe not as a, a person, but certainly in terms of his educational theory. And he talks about sort of the difference between, you know, without practice, there's no knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. or, or something. There's a wonderful phrase he uses. It's not in Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It's in one of his other ones. Um, or something like theory without practice is, no, that's it. Practice without theory is mere activism. And mm -hmm. theory without practice is just blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and, and the, the, the fact that sort of <laughs> to, to put the two together, I mean, it is so important. I mean, even you go back years and years, like John Dewey. I mean, mm. I think I might, I might even quote John Dewey later. Um, but he, <laughs> uh, in fact, he'll be he'll be down on the list. But um, he, he comes up a lot actually. But he, you know, talked. I think back in the early nineteen hundreds about the relation of theory to practice, mm. and the fact you ca you can't have one without the other. Um, there you go. I found it. Here you go. Um, I shall assume without argument that adequate professional instruction of teachers is not exclusively theoretical, but involves a certain amount of practical work. So mm. right back in in a hundred years ago, Dewey is saying that, and maybe I think it's something that we we have lost a little bit of sight of in that people find it very very easy to just assume that because they've read it, or they've you know talked about it, um, it's yeah. going to work. And until, you know, the old Dylan William of no lesson plan survives its first encounter with a student, you know, and until yeah. you put it into practice and you trial it and you, you IKEA stress test it, you're, you're never going to see it's it, whether or not and multiple attempts at trying it as well, multiple efforts at getting it right. I went to, um, so I, I've just completed an advanced coach program with GB Hockey, actually. And cool. um, it's really interesting. You were talking, and this is another conversation, this coaching versus mentoring. Um, oh, yes. but, <laughs> and we won't get into that this, this evening. That's another, <laughs> that's another podcast. But, that's um, 90 more minutes there. <laughs> Um, I was uh, just um, thinking um, about I use a lot or I get like the feedback and apply a lot of what I do from teaching into coaching into the hockey pitch um, and I went to I was lucky enough actually to go to Google headquarters Ooh. and um, this was through this program and I met the head of creativity there and we went to Google and uh, for those of you who don't know Google headquarters is just by King's Cross station cool. and literally right and you go there and um, the environment if you want to learn about working conditions environment that is the place to go and that within the building there was a gym they don't have offices they have hot desk in they have pods where you can go you could have any food what you wanted any time of the day and it stopped people going outside going into the city going uh, anywhere else outside the building because they they were productive within the, the building but they had um 
going back to collaborative practice and they had a thing called casual collisions and right. I would perhaps go for a smoothie on the rooftop terrace and you would be <laughs> behind me and uh, I'd turn around and I'd start a conversation with you and I'd say right um, what are you working on and um, Google had the, the first self-drive cars I don't know if you know you've seen the glasses that they had um, no. so all these these ideas that they were kind of looking at in the, with this head of creativity so then I would listen to what you were working on you would listen and that's how these casual collisions would come about and they would say right Henry go and try this or have you thought about this target market so that was a really powerful tool that they had and which I um, can we can take into this kind of conversation about these informal learning opportunities um, but no, that was that was really interesting and um, they had a basketball court on one floor yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, great place to visit. But wow. definitely the casual collisions there are something I'm, you can take into schools. Lovely. I'm, I'm writing down casual collisions. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, you, you, you mentioned earlier that the, we, we lose, we, we don't understand how to value the informal. Mm. And so, I mean, that, that casual collision is indeed a, a prime example of, I suppose, slightly structured informality, isn't it? And everybody needs to understand that it's okay to do this. Yeah, um, the, I mean, uh, the staff room, making sure you go for a coffee at break time, such yeah. a hive of activity and uh, you, you get so bombarded with your own office space, your own classroom yes. at schools that there, there, there is that, that network available. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because, again, this is why I absolutely adore my role in ITE because I get to work with different teams. On a Friday, there's 26 of us all together in a training room and we're talking We've got different settings, different subjects, different experiences, different knowledge. And yeah. the, we elicit so much from each other. You know, the, the fact that I've been doing it 15 years longer than them doesn't matter because mm. it, it's it's me learning all the time from their experiences and them learning from each other and, and demonstrating. There's been some, um, I'm, I'm sure you're you're more than familiar with the, the work of Collective Ed and um, the work yeah. that Rachel Lofthouse does out of Leeds Beckett and Carnegie. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be a, a fellow of Collective Ed, and I've, I've I've written some stuff for Rachel. I think she's fantastic. But they, um, she's recently done some things about um, staff rooms. I don't know if yeah. you've seen seen the research doing the rounds on on Twitter and things. I think uh, Teacher Toolkit picked it up as well and, and spread it around. But it was asking what staff rooms meant to people and what their perception of the staff room was. And I think if we have lost anything significant through not only COVID, because I saw it happening before COVID. I saw staff rooms being consumed into office spaces or being redesignated into yeah. sort of isolation rooms. And it's a thing that I miss. I learned so much in my in my formative teaching years from just sitting in the staff room um, yeah. and, and listening and, and osmosing and occasionally sort of, you know, schmoozing and networking a little bit. And it was always handy <laughs> to... To, to loiter by the photocopier and learn another department's photocopying code so you could <laughs> you know you could all of a sudden quickly quickly whip, whip through whip through 30 sheets under the guise of pshe and it didn't affect the english budget but I mean, and, uh, in, yeah cakes on a friday oh i love it i love it but again that's that is that sort of as you say those casual collisions those those informal networks are vital to enhancing professionalism, if only through agency and autonomy, aren't they? I mean, we know, you know, the class, everybody who's, you know, will quote Kraft and Pape 2014, supportive, yeah. supportive environments and such things. But what, the environment starts with that informality, doesn't it? It starts yeah. with, with people prepared to talk to each other about yeah. what they're doing and why they're doing it and whether or not it worked. 
I mean, do you find, um, uh, this is why I'm interested to sort of drill in, I've never taught in the independent sector. I know nothing really about uh, teaching in, in the sector itself. And I know that um, the school in which you work is not, I'll be honest with you, to me, I don't perceive it to be that much different from a standard state sector school. It, it doesn't carry this air of um, assumed privilege. I think it's a very humble school and it's good for mm. it because yeah. of it. But, but do you find having worked um, in both sectors or at least, you know, trained in one and working in the other, is there a greater staff room culture in the independent sector, do you think, at the moment? Um, yeah, I think people... Um... Well, yeah, saying that, I worked at Toby Young's Free School as well. So I do have, oh, wow. um, yeah, I can tell you a, a good um, story about that one after, actually. Um, yeah, I think it's, um, you see it a lot. You see, you have your, um, a bit like um, pupils, uh, not, I wouldn't say cliques, cliques the wrong word, but you have your more experienced pu uh, teachers who have their, they're the mug that you can't use, uh -huh. that, that they've had, um, they sit in the same area of the staff room, um, yeah. they're there. Um, but I do, I, and I see a more, a bit more of an, uh, a, and I mean this in a nice way, a more of an eclectic um, mix of people. I think that's so nice to see. So like you've just said, um, perhaps trainees, grads we have in the independent sector um, who are often seen, if we think about it, the, the lower end of the kind of the pecking order made to do all the Sunday duties, the yep. Friday night clubs. Um, <laughs> and it's really nice to see that that networking, um, that, that yeah, like I said, the casual collisions or what do you think of this? Um, how is teams going? Or uh, the, the IT is not doing really well. Or look at this team's function. Have you done this in your lessons and yeah. and it's over a 10-15 minute period and um yeah and a plus not just teachers in the staff room um operation staff especially in independent schools which are people who are valued it's just not the teachers cleaners who come and sit in there um we have a good um section with teaching and learning books good posters which obviously stimulates some conversation but then i think it's really important like you've been in a quite a focused environment in your classroom your audience has been with the pupils there's a good space just to, to relax just to uh space that get that work not work life balance but that enjoyment in your day of having a laugh with your your colleagues or um a, a joke or something so um no i think the the staff room and i i hate it when i when, like you said before when people lose staff rooms uh because to have more classrooms because then it becomes so you become so isolated yeah. and you say the pe department or just in the PE and I mean even today someone said oh, I haven't seen you in here for ages and actually I did think right I need to be a bit more of a visible presence because um, we're off site quite a lot so during break times we use that to transition between schools um, but people like seeing you in there mm. um, and and talking plus we do have good biscuits and um, <laughs> Yeah, the I mean we have a good selection of tea and coffee now, so that's definitely a pull factor for people. Well, but uh, I mean you you say it in a in a slightly sort of um uh, sort of semi facetious way, but I think it, it is important, isn't it? Because um sort of these if we want to in, encourage these sort of non hierarchical cross curricular conversations of that that form professional development opportunity and create school culture, then we need mm. people to be bumping into each other who aren't all just in the same department all day every day you yeah. don't you need your historian to trip over your geographer who's who's chatting to your PE teacher who's working with your business studies person on something and, and it's it got, got that 
yeah forms that nice that like you keep alluding to that culture that culture yeah. within schools and we ask pupils to to um integrate to talk to different uh, peers so i think staff should be seen to be doing that as well um yeah. and that that's important that we have house going back so i worked at um toby young's uh, free school actually in uh, hammersmith yeah. And I was quite a young, quite a naive teacher, had a big role of responsibility that looking back, um, probably was my best learning, but probably came at the wrong time. Um, we didn't have a staff room. And that was something. And I, I mean, the teacher body, uh, everyone was pretty much under 30. And I think as young working professionals in London, we did need that space. Yeah. Um, and I think you, the countless emails you would get because you can't just go and have a conversation with someone. Um, the things we missed out, the, the having we had staff meetings online and people just want that. Like COVID's proved, online learning is good, but we do want that social interaction. Yeah, definitely so. And I think, and again, it just facilitates that dialogue is far easier and much more humble when it's done face to face isn't it people aren't mm. able to hide behind a sort of you know electronic facade they're yeah. they actually just have to be who they are i think there's a sort I, of I'm, I'm i'm sort of wistfully thinking back to staff rooms like local pubs you know where <laughs> people you know everyone's got their own cup everyone's got their own seat at the bar you know what time they're coming in and you know when you need yeah. to go there to speak to them but also you know give them a couple of i suppose if we replace pints with pedagogies give them a couple <laughs> Give, give, give them a couple of pedagogies and they'll start talking. You know, I think that, that sort yeah. of environment just fosters this. And again, it takes away, I suppose, that sort of formality of rubrics that are required to judge people by. And yeah. it's, it's not a case of, oh, well, I, I, I walked past you. You know, I, I sat at the back of your room for 15 minutes with my list and I saw this and this, but not this. And um, and um, it, it's just uh, it's it's a fantastic thing. I mean, we've had a comment come in from Leanne, who's um, just put in a chat that so many times she saw emails and thought that my classroom's across the hall from your office. Just come and talk to me. And Le yeah. Leanne, I think that is such a vital point. I mean, I for me, the way I try and connect, not only for my ability to build rapport with people and 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 to develop professionally, but also for my own well-being, is to go and talk to somebody instead of sending them an email. Um, yeah. It's just such an easy thing to do. Leanne, you're absolutely right. Leanne comes back and says it just makes it more human. And yes, it does. And in, in order to get that humanity, that sort of humility, that dialogue, the, the uh, free air would say that dialogue cannot take place in a, in a world without hope. Um, you know, and, and we need that there. We need that sense that people can interact. And as Leanne has put in, again, it's less business like it's more it's more down to the, it's the nuts and bolts of what we do, which is interactions with different humans day in day out yeah it's it's like it's um like you said there's that dialogue that dialogue that open dialogue being able to connect but then you value that person and you have respect so you wouldn't mind that you came and sat in the back of my classroom because we've just uh over a coffee uh we just talked about um how to to manage a certain pupil or how to show progress in your lesson so um no i think um it, it's it's so so powerful um, yeah. And I, I suppose going back to the tone of an email, um, yeah. we talk about teacher learning and building relationships. I mean, it's a perception. I read some emails and think, oh, that was a bit harsh. And then you go and speak to them and they said, oh, no, I didn't mean it like it. But it's how you perceive that email. So yeah. um, that's, that's a point on that too. 
I mean, when you um your work on observation that you you were doing, um, which sounds fascinating, and again, we we need to talk more about that in another time, I think. But um, because yeah. it, it's rekindled my, I, I went down an observation rabbit hole uh, eighteen months ago, and I was determined that I was going to get the perfect way of doing it, and you never can. <laughs> um, but that sort of you know the feedback delivered, you know almost by you were talking about the distance the proximity between the the observation taking place and yeah. the feed and the feedback taking place now for me the feedback must always happen face to face but the yeah. first thing that I try and do if I leave a lesson I'll, I'll try not to make a big deal out of the fact that a I've arrived or b I've left I'll try and catch the teacher's eye and just give them a nod or a, a thumbs up just to say thank you um, mm. then especially if I don't hang around to the end and then the first thing I do is when I get back to my office um, or anywhere near a computer, because I don't like sitting at a computer to observe too often. It looks a bit formal. Is um, yeah. to, I mean, sometimes I do, I won't lie, but uh, it, it's nice to try and not to. And mainly the reason is I can't read my own handwriting. Um, so, um, <laughs> well, you are an English teacher. Yeah, well, it doesn't, doesn't, mean I can, doesn't mean I can write neither. Um, is to send a quick email to the teacher to say, thank you for letting me come into your lesson. And I copy mm. in their mentor and their line manager and just say, I've had a lovely time sitting at the back of your lesson for the past half hour. Great to see this, this and this. I'll catch up with you soon let me know a time when you want feedback and I put it back to them and say right you yeah. tell me when you're comfortable talking about this because that way the feedback is going to have a more significant impact I think if I just say right meet me at 3 15 um yeah. then it sounds like a summons doesn't it <laughs> you're, being, you're being told off yes I see me in my office at 3 15 to be instructed on how to uh, how not to teach etc and I think yeah. just that that combination of of communication methods within teacher development is vital isn't it to get that balance right yeah it's the um going back i mean whenever you you do a test with uh your pupils and you you spend ages doing a feedback form and all they want to look at when you give them their work back is the mark and the yeah. grade um and i i was just there's um the national education union actually have done an article uh, about appraisal and classroom observation and about the myths and misunderstandings um relating to that and about how we used to give judgments on lessons um yeah. and they talk a lot about um this meaningful and actionable feedback that you can get from it and i think it's really important that you need to um if it's a general like initially uh, you could say it's quite a general observation when people uh, for trainee teachers that you say you don't know what you're really looking for you can pick up on a focus and you can build on that but it's really important i share the observation form with them the observation framework yeah. um because they need to be able and one thing i actually found really good practice is that um we didn't really talk about this and it is probably another conversation but about developing teacher identity i'm reading yes. so much about teacher identity at the moment but you have your your novice your beginner teachers and now at this time this period of their i mean um my trainees are two two weeks away from potentially gaining their their qts that um i give them the they come and do an observation with me so they use a form they observe obviously with the permission of the class teacher and um i get them to to fill it out and look for specific things specific focuses and then they're involved in the feedback discussion and nice. that's been a, a really good learning tool for for them amazing i, I mean teacher again as you say teacher identity has got to be one of those ones that it forms yet another another hour's conversation because there's so much to talk about there, isn't there? I mean, I've been. Yeah. I, I suppose you're you're aware of Furlong and Maynard's five stages, 
yeah. something that you know, and you, <laughs> the, the, you go from this early idealism through to this personal survival, and then you you reach <laughs> this point now where they are ready to move on. I love that idea of getting them to observe with you. I think that's fantastic. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pinch that. I, I think I'm, <laughs> I, we we need Especially, to be getting our training to do that. Especially at this time when it's we've got the last five weeks of term, they've they've completed their evidence, they're they're planning forward for their ECT years, um, and it just shows. And I think they they kind of have a bit more. They're going into their next year. They'll be a qualified teacher. They and they don't necessarily get the opportunity. And I know in our school, um, we just leave them to it. So until there, like I said at the start, there's an appraisal. Um, unless you've got quite a good switched-on head of department, head of professional development within school who will do those those drop-ins, those observations, um, yeah. they're they're left on their own um, devices. And I think sometimes they feel, oh, oh, I've had this training and I've gone from all this input, and then I'm left to my own devices. Am I doing it right? Or um, and I do think they need that time to to again build on their own identity but they need perhaps an earlier intervention um to to just make sure they're on that that right pathway yeah definitely so holly i've just noticed that it's seven o'clock so i've somehow managed to um to to, to, <laughs> to nick an hour of your time for which i'm so grateful um oh, i'm not, no. I'm, I'm not going to let you go just yet because i'm going to i'm going to take two more minutes of your time to throw back yeah. the, quest, the question that you mentioned earlier that some people had found difficult so you can tell us, please, what, what what book on pedagogy are you reading at the moment? Oh, gosh. I did. Do you know what? I thought you might ask that. But so <laughs> I actually did get um, my, I, I suppose I'll go for my my top four. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I mean, when you're doing an ED and I would say do uh, do do one. And if you do want any um, any conversations about that, do make contact with me. So um, obviously, um, early career framework handbook for that uh, by the Chartered College of Teaching. Um, yep. I quite like this book just because it's a good handbook um, for uh, provoking chapters covering all aspects of the ECF. Um, uh, and I suppose looking at a teacher's career long journey of uh, professional development and learning. Um, Passy Salzberg, have you, have you heard much of his work? No, you're going to have to pass um, that on to me. Yeah, in Teachers We Trust. Um, he's a Finnish ed educator um, right. and um, his work is so good. Finnish way to world class schools. Um, and it's talking about his, he does, um, if you don't want to read the book, actually there's a really good 12 minute Ted talk that he does definitely Excellent. worth a listen on the way to school. Um, whilst, uh, whatever you're doing, I would definitely go on, I'll go on there, but in terms of how the trust element they have in teachers, um, that radically improves their educational outcomes, um, and especially teacher wellbeing. That's really, and that was, oh, wow. um, uh, he there's so much work that you can do um and I, well i suppose another um you mentioned uh on an earlier um podcast actually about tanya Overden hope rowena passy just looking yep. at exploring teacher recruitment and retention um i suppose that these are not pedagogical books as such but um no, but then... they're more no more in terms of looking <clears throat> at the recruitment and retention international like i alluded to earlier international perspectives um yep things we don't look at so um the how the chinese the the jewish the arab uh, swedish perspective on teacher retention um and drawing kind of um good practice and case studies from them 
uh, I mean, I could I could go on. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> no, if I had to take any one, any of those, I would go. Do definitely look at Passy Salzburg. Um, no. Such such a good okay. good um, educator. I'm gonna get myself looking at that as soon as I can. And I've also, <laughs> and um, you have just sparked in me an idea for a, another version of this show, which I think you'll have to be the first guest on, which we will call Desert Island Pedagogies. Yeah. Um, a form of Desert Island Discs, whereby you get to choose your uh, your eight favourite research papers um, <laughs> and to, to take with you to a sort of Lord of the Flies-esque Desert Island. It's quite niche. No. I, I appreciate yeah. it's niche, but you know what? Sometimes <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with niche, is there? Um, oh gosh amazing no, uh, holly i've yeah. written down so much so many different references and so many things that i want to go and explore and i hope that anyone who's able to listen back or has listened in um is able to take those as well um it's been an absolute pleasure and i, I thank you so much for giving up your time i do hope you'll join me again um yeah, to talk to talk to. more and um just to continue some some fantastic professional discussions and and, and networking and, and and just all those wonderful things that that uh, I think sort of education can it can open doors, can't it? And it can it can just encourage people oh. to share what's going on in 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 their worlds. And I, I do think yeah. that's a fantastic and thing. Like we've just talked about, this is a, a good informal learning opportunity. Uh, I is. mean, even I I learned from listening to your podcast whilst I was um, walking the dog this morning. So, oh, well, there you um, go. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. So thank you very much for having me, and thank you. Not for, at for all. Listening. It was a very very. Um, a handy casual collision when you emailed <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm really really pleased and, and Holly thank you again everybody that's um, that's Holly Naismith absolutely fantastic and um, I'm sure we will be hearing from Holly again thank you okay we continue with teacher talk radio Thursday twilight taking you as I said earlier in my new it's not going to catch on is it this this catchphrase of taking you from the technicolor of the afternoon to the crepuscularity of the evening in the comfortable arms of education but I've, I've I quite enjoyed writing it um it's well over time that we went to the news so that is indeed what we will be doing now see you in eight minutes This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible.
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half term and join me for two days and receive up to 1360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves that's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care we need people like you to help us achieve even more with us you'll be given all the resources and support you need offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. to a report in The Independent, schools have begun giving free breakfast to all students sitting exams in an effort to support the rising numbers of families struggling with the cost of living crisis. Head teachers have said that to ensure that no one falls through the cracks, they have decided for the first time to offer free breakfast to pupils taking exams. Pep Delazio, head teacher of a secondary school in Sheffield, said... We have gone over and above this year. We call it a warm-up and it is just literally preparing for the exam so we know they're good to go before the papers are out and before they go into the exam hall. A government spokesperson said, A nutritious breakfast at the start of the day can help a pupil's attainment and behaviour. Our national school breakfast programme, backed by by up to £24 million for two years, is helping children in disadvantaged areas start the day with a healthy meal. We encourage all schools to use their increased core schools and recovery funding to help children and young people according to their needs, including with breakfast clubs. In Scotland, the EIS union, which represents around 80% of Scotland's teaching professionals, is hosting its AGM this week, with the recently launched Pay Attention campaign, which calls for a 10% pay rise for teachers amid the cost of living crisis taking centre stage. A rally is expected to take place on Saturday afternoon as part of the pay increase campaign. EIS General Secretary Larry Flanagan said... Now in its 175th year, the EIS is the largest teaching union in Scotland, the oldest national organisation of this type in the world. The EIS AGM is one of the key events in the calendar of Scottish education and always sparks considerable debate on the issues facing our education system. 
This year's event is the first physical AGM that the EIS has held for three years as a consequence of the COVID pandemic. Following two years of online meetings, our members will be looking forward to reacquainting themselves with colleagues in person and engaging in lively debates on the key issues facing Scottish education. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! We all buy a lot of stuff online. It's easier, more convenient, but finding the best price can be difficult. This week, let's talk about comparing prices and are reduced prices really a bargain? Without boring you with the law on price dropping, basically, shops have to have had a product on sale at a higher price for a substantial time in the past six months to allow them to claim a price drop. If you research this, you'll see a lot of hits on the 28-day rule. 28 consecutive days being considered a substantial amount of time. If you're shopping on site like Amazon, for instance, there's a website that'll show you the past sale prices of the product. It's called Camel Camel Camel. That's three camels with no spaces. You can even set up a free account to send you a notification when a price drops. If you're shopping elsewhere, there's lots of price comparison sites around to help you find the best price. A simple search for price comparison will give you a huge list. My advice is find one you understand and trust and start saving. Do you have a favourite price comparison website? Why not get in touch at the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back to the second half, but it isn't really the second half. It's going to be essentially the last sort of 15 to 20 minutes of the Teacher Talk Radio Thursday Twilight with me, Henry Saunson. Um, uh, if you're just joining us, then please do take the chance to download the podcast and listen back to a fantastic and informative chat with the wonderful Holly Naismith, who was... Uh, um, my guest, as we discussed all things, starting with observation, moving through into culture, professional development, um, staff rooms, good books to read, rep- all of these wonderful things. Such a, a fantastic little rabbit warren of delight. So please do. Uh, I know I wrote down plenty of things that I'm going to be going off to read um, and, and ideas for about four or five different podcasts as well, um, which I'm sure that uh, uh, Holly will hopefully help me set up. So um, as we return after the news, um, it's time for the second official quotation of the evening. And uh, funnily enough, it it was always going to be John Dewey. Um, And John Dewey said that failure is instructive. The person who really thinks learns quite as much from his failures as from his successes. And I think that quotation sits rather nicely in and around this necessity of the translation of theory into practice being one that requires humility one that requires a lack of hierarchy, one that requires um, people's mutual desire to improve, but also that that sense failure is instructive. You know, the old Samuel Beckett, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And Dylan William telling us that, you know, if you if teachers fail every day and if you don't fail, you've not been paying attention. Uh, so there's uh, the beauty, I think, of our, our vocation is that it's okay to not be as good as you could be because you always want to be better. Um, so what we're going to do for the uh, just the last sort of 10, 15 minutes is I always like to just look at um, uh, aspects of research and evidence within the news. 
um, and, and things that are relevant. I'm going to be looking in a little bit at the Learning Policy Institute's um, summary of effective teacher professional development and potentially guide your eye to some fantastic blogs by Sarah Cottingham, um, who blogs as overpracticed.wordpress.com. But um, uh, I did mention earlier that the uh, the most recent school's workforce data um, was published today. It dropped today to try and make it sound considerably sexier than it really is. But if, like me, you find this sort of thing interesting, then it's worth just looking at some of the headlines. Um, so, of course, this is data published today um, based on school workforce census, relates to November, up to November 2021. Um, so still technically within sort of um, elements of pandemicary. Um, a few sort of summary bits. So FTE, so that's the... Um, uh, sort of equivalent, full-time equivalent or full-term equivalent uh, teachers. Um, so of the total education workforce, 50% are teachers. Um, there are 4,400 more teachers than there were in 2020. Um, there's been an increase in the number of entrants, but also an, an increase in the number of leavers. Um, uh, so the rate of entrance to teaching continues to be higher than that of leaving, but there is an overall increase to the numbers of teaching. However, um, both entrance to and leavers from teaching are up from last year. Uh, so whether or not that's some uh, an impact from COVID. Um, workforce ethnic diversity is increasing, but it continues to be predominantly female. I'll have a look at those, that, statistic, uh, that statistic in a minute because that really, really surprised me, actually. Um, so if we go to this, the teaching workforce of England is consistently predominantly female. So 75% of the teaching workforce in England is female. Um, but uh, us sort of lone breed male teachers are more likely to work in secondary schools than in nurseries or primary schools. And I think certainly the uh, the work that I do in initial teacher education would um, attest to that. Uh, certainly, in fact, to the balance of gender within the primary cohort. Um, apparently, 35% of secondary school teachers are male, which is a decrease in the last 10 years of uh, around about 3%. However, female teachers are less likely than their male counterparts to be in leadership positions. So by that, we mean heads, deputies and assistant heads. Um, be interesting to look at the, uh, the characteristics and trends in school leadership, actually. Um, uh, I, I won't do that today. I won't allow myself to go down a rabbit hole live. That's, that's very, um, even though this isn't professional, it's, it's very unprofessional. Um, so if we just look again at some of the teacher characteristics that are coming out um, through this data ethnicity, um, OK, yes, it's on the increase, but 14.9% of teachers identifying as belonging to an ethnic minority group. Um, yeah, OK, it's up from 11.2% 10 years ago, but I would suggest that it's still far too low. Um, there's certainly not any equal representation in leadership positions. Um, so most recent data indicates that... Uh, if we look at leadership positions, 15.3% white British, 8.1% Asian or Asian British, and 9.3% black or black British, um, which has, again, risen, um, but I don't think necessarily by enough over 10 years. Age, this one interests me, um, mainly because I feel old all the time, um, and I'm going grey. Uh, I've realised that the shorter I keep my, head, uh, my hair and the, uh, the trimmer I keep my beard, the less grey hair man, uh, sort of manifests. Uh, so I, I do tend to try and look a little bit younger than maybe I really am. Um, but the teacher workforce is getting younger. It was apparently, but then uh, until 2017, 18, since then the older age groups are increasing in proportion. Now, one of the indications might be the retirement, changing retirement policy. 
Um, but the majority of the teacher workforce is aged between 30 and 49. Um, and there are uh, a small percentage um, of, uh, if we go from between 50, 59 is 16.5%. There's only 2.6% of the, uh, the, the workforce is over 60. Um, and, you know, that would be uh, either those perhaps that have come into the career late or perhaps are sort of clinging on um, and, can, you know, leaving a, a legacy of expertise. So there's a lot of interest there. I mean, teacher retention wise, I think, uh, again, this one scares me. And I always look at this when it comes to my own role within the sector around initial teacher recruitment, investment, development, what have you. Um, almost nine in 10, so 87.5% of teachers who qualified in 2020 were still teaching one year after qualification is the celebratory headline. What Turn that round, that means that 12.5% of teachers who qualified in 2020 have already left the profession. 12.5% of people who qualified have already left after two after, after a year and a bit. Um, and, and this the, these sort of attrition rates continue. So... We've only got, um, if we take teachers who qualified five years ago, there's only 68% of them still left in the, in the sector. So that's, two th that's only two thirds. One third of teachers who qualified five years ago have left the profession. Why is that? That really does, I mean, I know I've touched on these statistics before, but that's quite scary. Um, and uh, six in 10, so 60% of teachers who qualified 10 years ago are still teaching. So that's almost, it's pushing to the point where I'm going to be in a minority. I've been teaching 40, 15 years, I think. So the fact that me teaching 15 years is going to soon put me in a minority, uh, I find a little bit distressing. But anyway, um, we're not here on Thursday twilight to uh, necessarily leave everybody on a sour note. So what I'm now going to do is do my quick little look at a research paper or an area of interest. Um, of course, it's professional development because that at the moment is uh, what I'm interested in and certainly what Holly and I were talking about prior to the uh, the break. Now, what we're looking at here is a, uh, a paper from uh, a few years ago around effective teacher professional development um, from uh, Linda Darling-Hammond, amongst many others. Um, and, you know, previous shows I've looked at effectiveness or the F word as it were um, and thinking about what defines effective professional development and then indeed what the elements of effective professional development are. I mean there's so much out there isn't there? I mean even you go back to the work of Mary Kennedy um, and you look at I mean going right back to uh, you know Helen Timperley uh, so Timperley's, uh, I think, rather seminal educational practice series piece for, for UNESCO and the International Bureau of Education, where she was looking at teacher professional learning and development. She cites um, key things such as a uh, focus on valued outcomes, worthwhile content, assessment for professional inquiry. Um, Holly and I talked about um, professional inquiry earlier on. Um, approaches responsive to the learning process, opportunities to process new learning with others. And I mean, Kennedy, um, Timperley wrote that paper back in, uh, I think, 2007. I might be wrong. I often am. 2008, I think, probably. I'm trying to find it. Uh, so again, none of these ideas are new, but uh, as I think it was probably Socrates said, nobody knows the old ideas. Uh, so <laughs> there we are. If we go back to this effective professional teacher professional development, um, Darling Hammond is is always worth a read. 
with this sort of thing. And um, found seven characteristics of effective PD. They found that it was content focused. Uh, it incorporates active learning, which utilizes adult learning theory. Now, that's interesting. Adult learning theory. So maybe we're looking at Malcolm Knowles and andragogy there. Um, it supports collaboration, typically in job embedded contexts. Uh, so again, context comes in. One of my favorite C words. Uh, models and modeling of effective practice. And again, we've got the word effective. I much prefer the word effective. Um, uh, to uh, anything. I don't like outstanding. Okay, outstanding to me means needs handing in. Uh, but you know, and I've never been a librarian. Uh, it provides coaching and expert support. It offers opportunities for feedback and reflection, and it is of sustained duration. And I think that sort of the latter one, the sustained duration aspect, I think is really, really important. Um, because what that is reminding us of is that it's not just sort of these one-off inputs. It's not about uh, just sort of doing something here and there and, and, and hoping that, oh, you know, that'll stick and that'll work for a little while. Um, it's far, far more than that. Now, um, another interesting piece that uh, that came out relatively recently, and it, this came out from Harvard um, and Anningberg Institute at the Brown University. So we've got Hill and again, Pape and Schwartz. So this was published in February this year um, uh, from the Research Partnership for Professional Learning. And it's around aligning the evidence. Essentially, it was a paper that's to do with dispelling the myths, um, because there are many myths pervading around professional learning. So, you know, Darling Hammond in 2017, um, Timperley in 2008, right back to you know, many, many people who've extolled the virtues of professional development over the years. There are still these myths that pervade. There are still these areas of um, issue that, that, that people have with designing a decent programme. Um, Holly uh, has popped back in the chat that Jensen is good to read. Um, Holly, if you could just give us a bit more, uh, um, a bit more detail in and around Jensen. It's not a name that's familiar to me, but I want it to be. And I'm also going to say hello to uh, Natasha or Sammy and Natasha there, who's in Uganda, and um, they've got two weeks to go till the summer break. Oh, I'm, I'm jealous. Um, I've still got six. So let's go to this uh, RPPL. Uh, set of myths around professional learning. All they do is very simply, and I can share the link with those that are interested, cite, they cite the myth and then they tell us the truth. So myth number one is that professional learning is a waste of time and money and all of their research and their syntheses and their analyses and meta-analyses and pulling together all of that fantastic material on teacher professional development. The truth is that evidence shows professional learning can lead to shift in teacher skills and practice. It can significantly improve student learning if it's done well. The second myth is that professional learning is more effective for early career teachers than for veteran teachers. Now, I suppose the workforce data shows that we're not going to be left with many veteran teachers, are we? But the truth be known, professional learning opportunities can support teacher development at all levels of experience. To go back to what Holly and I talked about, it's got to be done with that appropriate context and the humility and mutual and, and desire to improve of those involved. The third myth um, is that professional learning programmes must be job embedded and time intensive, but actually they've found that programmes of varying lengths and formats can produce wide ranging effects depending on how the time gets used. So perhaps then we, we, we go back to some of my yet another educational hill on which I'll die is the, the myth of collaboration, you know, glimpsed in the aftermath of successful implementation or luck. Um, the RPPL 
uh, to quote them, they say that we believe that deeply rooted beliefs about effective teacher learning are not always supported by the most up-to-date research evidence. Um, and so that's an, yet another a sort of flag for us, isn't it, to ensure that we are constantly allowing ourselves to challenge what we consider to be good practice or effective practice, and we allow ourselves to improve. Their fourth myth, um, improving teachers' content knowledge is key to improving their instructional practice. Now, this is an interesting one. Again, Holly and I talked about content knowledge, but perhaps we're thinking more about pedagogical content knowledge. Their truth, PL programmes that aim directly at instructional practice are more likely to shift student learning than those that focus on content knowledge, which is quite a, a, an interesting finding. But again, I don't think we can dispute it too heavily. Their fifth myth, fifth myth, great phrase. Um, Research-based professional learning programmes are unlikely to work at scale or in new contexts. False. Truth, they can have positive effects across a wide range of schools. But here's the caveat. Strong implementation can help sustain effects at scale. There's many a slip twixt cup and lip, isn't there? Okay, theory to practice, what looks good on paper, let's do this, leadership by syllogism, you know, we need to do something, this is something, therefore we must do it. It's got to be implemented with strength and it's got to be sustained. Um, and then this, I think, really digs into what Holly and I were talking about around theory and practice. Um, their sixth myth is that districts, as they put it, because we're coming from America, so let's say authorities, schools, trusts, should implement research-based professional learning programmes with no modifications, i.e. as is. And the truth is, of course, that practice fidelity first and adaptation with guardrails second. What a magnificent phrase. Practice fidelity first and adaptation with guardrails second. And I think that really could represent a very, very good summation of everything that we've tried to talk about this evening. Um, I've looked at the time, I've realised that our 90 minutes of um, Teacher Talk Radio Thursday Twilight, taking you from the Technicolor to the Crepuscular, I'm going to keep saying it, um, is up. Uh, so we're not going to get to Sarah Cottingham's work this evening, but I will, of course, be coming back to it. Um, I'm going to end, as I always do, with a quotation. Uh, and again, to bang the old drum. I've gone back to free air. Of course I have. You know, it's an excuse to share his work. So he tells us that the teacher is, of course, an artist. But being an artist does not mean that he or she can make the profile, can shape the student. What the educator does in teaching is to make it possible for the students to become themselves. And on that note, I'm going to wish you a fantastic rest of Thursday into Friday and onto the weekend. And let's be careful out there, everybody. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.